Rabbi say, Haintik Parshas Shlach. The Parsha this week is Shlach. Now, of course, Parsha Shlach is predominated by one episode, by one story. It's the story of the Meraglim. I don't know if it goes till Ravi or till Chamishi. But most of the Parsha, probably more than half of the Parsha, is one episode, the story of the Meraglim. And of course, everybody knows the story of the Meraglim, the spies. And we also know the essence of the Hasidus of the spies. The essence of the Hasidus of the spies is that they did not value the idea of Dira Betachtoinim. They didn't value the idea of bringing the Ebishter down. They preferred instead to remain in Elam HaMachshava, in the world of thought. They were in the Shamas of Elam HaMachshava. They were very spiritual souls whose reality was emphatically spiritual. They cared about Ruchnias. They didn't have a relationship with Elam Hazer, with Gashmias and Chumias and so forth. And consequently, when it comes to going into Eretz Yisrael, and Kalev is screaming, there's nothing bad in Eretz Yisrael, the Malach and the Meraglim are screaming, you go into the Holy Land, it's going to eat you up. And the land of Israel is stronger than God, land of Canaan. And of course, the way Hasidus explains it, the Meraglim did not mean, God forbid, that the land of Israel is stronger than God. They meant that the land of Israel is stronger than godliness, than Yiddishkeit. A Yid cannot be a Yid in the real world. So the Alta the Rebbe, Hasidus explains, the Kodetayit explains that the essence of the Meraglim's objective, the essence of the Meraglim's issue, was a preference to remain in Ruchnius, to remain in the spiritual worlds. The irony in this whole episode is that the, the problem, the individuals, the people who had the problem of going to Israel were the men, and not the women. The women were running into Eretz Yisrael, right? The Tera compares and contrasts the men to the Bnei Slavchad. The men said, what a terrible place. And the women said, we want a chelik ba'aretz. And you'll see soon, perhaps, that there's a connection in this week's Pasha to the daughters of Slavchad as well. Because our Pasha is on the Mekoshish. There are certain, according to certain opinions, this was taken their father Slavchad who was killed in this week's Pasha. And the daughters, the women loved Eretz Yisrael. The one man who was in love at Eretz Yisrael was the one who was not allowed to go in. That was Moshe Rabbeinu. And we learned about him last week. Moshe Rabbeinu loved the land. And he was, he was not allowed to go into Eretz Yisrael. And as we you were here last Sunday night, we had an interesting class. Elder Dumeid would say, Moshe Mace. Moshe is going to die. Who's taking it into Eretz Yisrael? Yeshua. Miriam and Aaron still believe that they're going into Israel because it's not yet, no gzeros have yet occurred. And they find out Moshe Meis. So Miriam and Aaron say, what kind of business if Moshe is such a big tzaddik? Why is he not zeichet et Yisrael and we will be zeichet et Yisrael? So the Megal Amukis writes, because Moshe Rabbeinu has to stay with his generation. His generation is above Eretz Yisrael. But that's what says in Kabbalah. Again, if you were here last Sunday, Hasid is exactly the opposite. What's Miriam and Naran's criticism of Moshe Rabbeinu? So like I said, the Mekubalim say they criticized Moshe Rabbeinu because he was too holy. Hasidim says they criticized Moshe Rabbeinu because Isha Kush is lakach. Which means to say, it literally means Isha Kush is a black woman. He married a black woman, Tipoida. But Hasidim says Isha Kush is lakach means Moshe Rabbeinu was the holiest man who ever lived. Nobody had more Ruach HaKadosh than he. No one was more sensitive to Eid al-Aki. Nobody experienced godliness more than Moshe Rabbeinu. And he insists on learning Tadish of al He insists on learning the Taita without the light, without the inspiration, the Chochmas ha without the Ruach HaKadosh, to be Mavader, to correct the darkness. And it's not enough to correct the darkness. Like Talmud Yerushalmi, Isha Kushis has to be black. It's the Davka be Tadish of al like Talmud Bavli. So Miriam and Aaron don't understand Moshe Rabbeinu. Why do you have to wallow in filth if you have such Ruach HaKadosh? If the lights are on for you, if you could see a Lakus, as Moshe Rabbeinu saw, and nobody sees godliness, like Moshe Rabbeinu, why do you insist Tehidosh HaBiksav is not good enough for you? It has to be Davka Tehidosh Balpeh. And Tehidosh Balpeh is not good enough for you, it has to be Isha Kushis. Bavli, why does Moshe Rabbeinu insist on such a dark Tehidosh? What's the answer? Moshe Rabbeinu enjoyed Ruach HaKadosh as much as the next person. But Moshe Rabbeinu knew that the Ebishter wants Tehidosh Balpeh. Ebishter wants Birudim. So therefore the irony is the holiest person, the person who had least to do with the world, understood the best. That the purpose is to go into the Holy Land. 
And that's the story of this week's Pasha, that the Meraglim and their generation, the spies and all the Jewish people of that time, wanted to stay in the desert, feeling that they're closer to the Abishta, which was true, except for one thing. It's not the Kavana. It's not the reason Abishta created the world. And like it says in Chesir, it says in Svarim, that when you have a Parsha with many points, and I wrote on the margin, there are six points in our Parsha, they're all linked, they're all connected. And the, the essence of our Parsha is a struggle, is a debate about the question of Dira Leyes Baruch the Jewish people are saying we want to be holy. And Meshach Rabbeinu says, the Abishta says, we're going to go into the Holy Land. Teva Haaretz Mi'eid Mi'eid. And we're going to be Vare Birudim. We're going to transform darkness into light and clip into Gedusha. And we're going to reveal Atzmus and Hus, the Abishta himself, which he cannot reveal in the desert with all of the holiness and all the Ruach HaKadosh. So the rest of the Parsha follows in line, continues. So... I wrote on the margin what the rest of the Pasha talks about. If you can read my script on the left, on top, I wrote Meraglim. You see? The first word on top on the page I wrote on the left. Meraglim means the spies. And of course, the story of the spies is what I just discussed. The idea that the Jewish people did not want to go into the Holy Land. The Jewish people did not want to go into the Holy Land because they felt that they're closer to God in the desert, except that God thought otherwise. And then comes the Nisachim, the libations. In our parsha, right after the story of the spies, it says, you'll go into the Holy Land, you're going to pour wine and oil and flour on the Mizbech. So Rashi says right away, this is absurd Torah, it's telling them good news, they were just punished, they're told they can't go into Israel, but one day you'll get there, you won't get there, your children get there, you'll get into the Holy Land. But it says in Hasidus, that in the Midbar there were no Nisachim. Chassidus explains this, the pouring of the wine on the Mizbeach. It says in Chassidus, based on Kabbalah and Chazal, that pouring the wine on the Mizbeach is the Shuv of a Karban. The whole idea of Karbanus is Ratzu. The idea of a Karban is running to Hashem. And the idea of pouring the wine on the Mizbeach and so forth is bringing the Ebishter back down. So there's a Ramban, it's a Maimah Chazal, it's a Medrash. It says that in the Midbar there were no libations. In Midbar they didn't do it. Only when they went to the Holy Land. And the explanation is simple. Because in the desert, they had only one direction, up. Going into Eretz Yisrael, now Yiddishkeit becomes dual, up and down. And the day that Midbar didn't want it, so the Bishop says to the Yidin, when you go into Israel, when your children go into Israel, you'll understand that Yiddishkeit is not only being as close to God as possible, as you've elected, as you've selected, as you've preferred, as you've chosen for yourselves, but it's about Aliyotake, and then Eratsu, Karbanas, ascent and descent, coming down. So the the Nisachim follows after the story of the Meraglim because it's the answer to the issue, to the story of the Meraglim. Then you have the Maisa with Chala. Chala also is a mitzvah. I wrote it on the margin of your page. Chala is also a mitzvah that's connected to uh, going into Eretz Yisrael. But the mitzvah of Chala is interesting. It's not just Chala that's interesting. It's a mitzvah. It's, it's interesting about all mitzvahs. And the essence of Chala is you give God a portion. And Chala is not even a big piece. What is it? One out of 40, one out of 50, one out of 60, like Truma. When you give God the little piece that you give Him, what you keep for yourself is holy. This is the, the essence of what the Maraglim didn't get. That holiness doesn't have to be removed. Holiness can be ordinary. You give the Rebish to the little bit, so then the Arba Yadis that you keep also have a Kedusha. And then the last three discussions of Edezara, Mekoshish, and Tzitzis. The Torah speaks about uh, not worshipping idols, and that if you worship idols, you have to bring a special sin offering. And bedako minadako, in the finest of levels, in the most refined and sublime of levels, there is a link between idolatry and the story of the spies. Because what does idol worship mean? What, what is the essence of idol worship? The essence of idol worship is not a statue, a stone, or wood, or gold, or copper. The essence of idol worship is the belief that there is a division there's what's holy and there's what's unholy and they cannot be mixed. That's what the Menachem believed. You can be holy in the desert. Stay isolated and you can be as close to God as possible and they were closer to God than anybody else. But the whole purpose of Yiddishkeit is to underscore, is to emphasize that everything is God's. Even the ungodly places are God's as well. And the attitude of the Menachem that you can only be holy in this environment because they wanted a very high level of holiness is in a very sublime, in a very theoretical way, this concept of division. So the answer to the Meraglim is, don't worship idols. 
don't worship idols mean don't separate higher from lower even if your intent of separating higher from lower is that the higher should be higher still the higher should be even higher because the Abishta's purpose for creation is unity unity between the very lowest things and the Abishta. and then comes the story of the Makoshish which is the topic of tonight's class so I'll go back to the Makoshish momentarily the last thing in the Pasha is the Maisa with Tzitzis. And the story with Tzitzis is very, very interesting. What's the story with Tzitzis? The story with Tzitzis, you have a whole baggage, a complete garment, and the garment surrounds you, and the garment represents holiness, and it's not enough. Yet I have a few threads coming out at the bottom. In next week's Pasha, we can read about Koirach. Koirach's tiny is Tal The whole baggage is holy. What happens if you don't have a few strings? The whole garment is holy. So you're missing the strings. You're missing the fringes. Or the other tiny is, buy your smallest photom, a house full of safe potatoes. So there's a mezuzah missing. And what's the tedetz? The tedetz says Yiddishkeit is not defined in how much holiness there is. Yiddishkeit is bringing holiness to the edges, to the, to the, bre, to the breg, to the very lowest points. And that's what Titus represents. Titus is at the edge of the beggar. Dafke, al-kanfevigdeyem. And spiritually represents the lowest levels. And this is where the mitzvahs are. The expressions of Yiddishkeit, the expressions of the mitzvahs on the lowest levels. So in short and in summary, if you examine our Pasha, this is consistent throughout the Teda. The Pasha has a theme. And the essence of the theme is the story of the Meraglim. That the Meraglim said, you can't be a Jew in the real world. And the answer to the Meraglim is Nesachim, the answer to the Meraglim is Chala, the answer to the Meraglim is Avedezora. In other words, that on some level there's an element of idol worship when you separate higher levels and lower levels. The answer to Meraglim is the story of the Makoshish, and the answer to the Meraglim is Mitzvah Sitzis, which by the way leads us right into Pashat Kairach. Kairach has the opposite complaint. Kairach's complaint is the reverse, as the Rebbe says it in the Sichas. So you're saying the most important thing in Yiddishkeit is action, not holiness. Right? They were tinying the whole point of Yiddishkeit is to be holy. If the point of Yiddishkeit is to be holy, you can't be in the real world. So Meshach Rabbeinu answers them, no, the important thing is mitzvahs. So Kedach's tiny is, if it comes to mitzvahs, we're all equal. Kulam Kedoshim. Why do you put yourself on the pedestal? That's the, how the Rebbe explains the Sichas that continue Meshach But the topic we have chosen for this evening is the story of the Mokoshish. Mokoshish was Ayid who desecrated the Shabbos and he paid with it for it with his life. He desecrated the Shabbos. What did he do? There's three opinions what he did. One opinion is that he simply carried Meshus L'Shus, which the Chazal called a Melacha Klilo. It's considered a weak Melacha. It's considered not as, it's not the same as another work because you're not changing anything. Right? When you build something, you change something. When you plant something, you change it. When you harvest something, you change it. When you carry something from one place to another, you're not doing anything to it. You're simply moving it from one Shus into a different Shus. And the other two opinions, one says he cut. He was tailish, he cut down living produce. And the third opinion was that he was collecting. He collected Muhammad. He gathered together into bundles, spread out twigs. Now why would there be three opinions about the meaning of the word Makoshish? And the answer is because the word Makoshish doesn't make any sense. That's why. There's three opinions in the Chazal because the word Makoshish does not fit with the word Eitzim as you'll see soon. But before we get to the particulars... A Jew desecrates the Shabbos and he pays with it, for his, with, it, with his life. Now, what I have done so far in the class tonight has been to demonstrate to you, to point out how the entire Parsha has a common theme. In other words, the Meraglim set a tone for the Parsha. And everything that follows the Meraglim, the Nesachim and the Chala and the Vedizara and Makesh and Tzitzis, is the answer to the Meraglim, why they're wrong. And one of the Yonim is Shabbos. The desecration of Shabbos is an answer, and there's many different explanations. The simplest one is that Shabbos is the answer to idol worship. Shabbos is the answer to idol worship. You'll see it in Mitzvah Shem in the commentaries. Because the entire idea of Shabbos is recognizing the Creator. And idol worship doesn't deny the Creator, but idol worship puts the Creator on such a pedestal that He's in the heavens, you know, in the clouds. And Shabbos declares that the Creator is on earth, and we celebrate Shabbos with Him. And then after Shabbos comes a new world, a new creation, a new Sunday, like it says in Sfarim. So Shabbos is equal to idol worship. In other words, keeping the Shabbos is denying the position of idol worship, which is understood to mean, as I told you moments ago, a separation between the higher worlds and the lower worlds. So Shabbos is declaring a unity between the higher worlds and the lower worlds. So here a Jew desecrates the Shabbos, and the story is told in our Pasha, because his desecration of the Shabbos is similar to 
the Merakim refuses to go into the Holy Land. So this is the introduction. So let's now begin to read the story in the Chumash on page 1. Now, Vayihiyu b'nei Yisrael b'amidbar. And the Jewish people found themselves in the desert. Vayimtu ish. And they came upon a man. They found a person. Mekoyshesh eitzim b'yei mashabas. I'm going to translate it in what I think is the simplest way. Collecting twigs on Shabbos. Collecting twigs on Shabbos. Mekoyshesh is a word used in Pasha's Shmois. In Exodus. And the word Mekoyshesh usually goes along with the word kash. The Jewish people spread out all over Egypt. Lekoyshesh kash. Latevin, when they were told by the Pharaoh, remember that story? Moshe Rabbeinu comes along and the Pharaoh gets angry, so we're not going to give them any, any straw to make the brick. So the Jewish people spread out to find straw, and the Lashed for collection straw is Lakeshish Kash, Latevin. Here the word Makeshish is huge in conjunction with Eitzim, with wood, which is not correct. And that's why I told you earlier there are actually three opinions what the Makeshish did, because Makeshish and Eitzim are confusing. If it's Makeshish, it should be Makeshish Kash. And if it's Eitzim, it should be Malakit Eitzim. Mekoshish Eitzim is a confusion. And consequently, the Gemara brings three opinions what the sin was. As I told you earlier, one was that he carried from one Rishos to another. Another is that he cut, he harvested some kind of a produce. And the third is that he collected twigs. And then the next Pasuk says, Those who found him, brought him close. Mekoshish Eitzim, they found him collecting the wood and if you, as Rashi says they warned him they said you're not allowed to do this and he didn't stop so they warned him that he's going to die and of course the question becomes when you warn a person that he's, if he doesn't stop he's going to die you have to tell him how he's going to die which form of Misa they didn't know what he should die which form of Misa skilah, safe, heterogenic stoning or fire or uh, sword or suffocation so some of them say they warned him you're going to die in one of these four methods we don't know which but one of them and he refused to stop so they brought him they brought him to the whole community and they put him in jail it was not clear what to do with this fellow stone him with stones the entire camp they took him out of the camp. And they stoned him. And he died. Here was a Jew who was defiant. He was told stop. And he wasn't told stop six hours before. He was told stop within seconds. He said, listen, you should understand that when you violate the Shabbos, there's a death sentence. There's a penalty. So stop, because we're going to have to report you to Meishad Abeinu, and then Meishad Abeinu is going to have to punish you. And he refused to stop. Because had he been warned an hour before, there would have been no death sentence. Had they not warned him, there wouldn't have been a death sentence either. They warned him, it was only thing he was asking for it. And this is a very famous thing that the Gemara says, that in Mishpat Teatayra, the likelihood of a rabbinical court actually putting a person to death is virtually zero. Because the conditions that need to be in place for the person actually to die for a desecration of the Shabbos or any other sin are so precise that it could almost not happen unless the person is actually asking for it. Then of course the question becomes, if a man is suicidal, if he desecrates the Shabbos, then you don't put him to death. You call him crazy, not uh, a sinner. So the, the Gemara says, a Bezdin who killed a man once in seven years, and a different opinion, once in 70 years. It's called Bezdin Katlanus. A murderous court for killing one person. Because the Shaftu Eida, Vitzilu Eida, Mishpati Ateida are for Chesed and Rachamim, not for judgment. And here was a man who asked for it. They told him, stop! And he refused. Now, if we studied all these five psukim, we'll be here till Thursday. Okay? We're going to read just the first Pasuk. And there are many, many obvious questions on the Pasuk. The Jews found themselves in the desert. Really? I didn't know. I thought they were in Brooklyn. <laughs> the whole Chumash is taking place in the desert. All of a sudden, Oh, I forgot to tell you, they were in the desert. Really? <laughs> so, why all of a sudden is the Torah alluding to the fact that they were in the Midbar? We know they were in the Midbar. Vayimtu, and they found, right? It should say, Vayiru, Vayifkishu, Vayimtu, the word Metziyah is an unusual term. They, they came across, they chanced upon. And then the word Ish, a man. And some of the commentators say that the word Ish is actually a very, very favorable allusion. If you're talking about a sinner, they should say Echad, an individual. 
Ish is a Torah Maila, right? Oh, the Moshe Rabbeinu is called Ish Moshe. Here's a man desecrating the Shabbos, and he's desecrating the Shabbos in such a way that he's going to bring to himself Hebrachachayim, death, which means to say he's almost asking for it. So he's a no good, Nick. And the Torah calls him Ish, a man. Why? If, if the person is desecrating the Shabbos, he shouldn't be called Ish. He should be called Enish, you know, the, the term, or Nefesh. When Hasidus wants to talk about, when Taylor wants to talk about a sinner, they use the word Enish. Enish means a weak person, or Nefesh. Ish is a Shema Maila. Why is he called Ish? Then it says, Mekoshesh Eitzim. He was collecting sticks. Mekoshesh Eitzim doesn't go together. It should either be Mekoshesh Kash or Malaket Eitzim. What's Mekoshesh Eitzim? Collecting wood like it's straw is odd. And Be'yema Shabbos, the day of Shabbos, as some of the commentators also asked, that it should say, Va'yimtu'u. It should first say that it was Shabbos, and then that he was collecting wood, not that first he was collecting wood, and then he was Yemen Shabbos. And then Vayakribu, they brought him close. The word Vayakribu is also a very funny illusion. It sounds like a korban or a kiruv and so forth. These are five or six of the observations that we are going to analyze, and trust me, there's a lot more to be done. And trust me, even what we're planning to do, we're not going to get to, unfortunately. So let's go right into it. Okay, let's go right into it. We're going to have first basic insights into this episode, to this story. And then we're going to have deeper and deeper insights into the story. The first question is, when did this happen? When did the story happen? Now in Pachas Emir, Pachas Emir is uh, many Pachas ago, in Vayikra, there's a story with a Magadif, a man who blasphemed, a man who cursed God. Because he was thrown out of his uh, place of lodging. He was living with Shevet Dun. And his father was a Mitzri. His father was a Goy. And they told him he doesn't belong. And he refused to leave. They threw him out. So he cursed him. And he was also killed. They stoned him. So many of the Mepharshim say that these two stories happened at the same time. The person who blasphemed. And the person who desecrated. Blasphemed the name of God. And the person who desecrated the Shabbos. Did their deed. Did their sin at the same time. Yet in the Tera, they're in two different locations. And then there's another question, whether this happened before or after the division of the Jewish people into camps. Did it happen in the first year or the second? Did it happen when the Jewish people had not yet gotten the Beis HaMikdash built or once the Beis HaMikdash was built? And you'll see the significance of all these details as we proceed. We begin to read Rashi, and Rashi is on the left at the top. But the Jews were in the desert, when they found. Now, of course, our first observation was, why are you saying, why are you pointing at the Jews in the desert? Everybody knows it. So Rashi says, no, you don't understand. They just arrived in the desert. Says, the Taylor is exposing the Jewish shame. They kept one Shabbos. The second Shabbos was desecrated by this person. And of course the implication is that once one person desecrated the Shabbos, even though he lost his life, the sanctity of Shabbos was forever compromised. So what's the Taji Ibn Yisrael Midbar? They had just come to the desert. That's like Vayihi. They just came. When did they come to the desert? Before Har Sinai. So according to Rashi, the Jews had just arrived in the desert and already someone desecrated the Shabbos. So this story happened, forget about before the spies. It happened before the Beis HaMikdash was built. It happened perhaps before the golden calf was made. Who knows? The first Shabbos was Aseris Adibris, right? So they had a couple of Shabboses. The, the golden calf wasn't made for 40 days. The Jewish people desecrated the Shabbos much before, much, much earlier. What's it doing in our parsha? We know what it's doing in our parsha because it's an answer to the story of the Meraglim. The Meraglim's attitude was... You can only be holy in the desert. You can't be holy in the real world. And the answer to that is don't worship idols. That means don't make separations. And keep Shabbos. What does keep Shabbos mean? In this world, God is the master. So therefore, even though this episode occurred much before, the title waits to tell us the story till this week's Pasha because it belongs in this week's Pasha, not chronologically, but belongs in this week's Pasha contextually. Now the second thing I want to read you to is the Evan Ezra. He doesn't have much to add, but nevertheless, Evan Ezra is on the first page, also on the left at the bottom. You see what I'm reading? The second arrow. 
This is an allusion to the Sinai Desert. In other words, this happened way before the Maraglim. Perhaps even before the Mishkan was built. And I've already indicated Why is it written here? If this Mekoshish, if this collector of woods, this desecrator of Shabbos had done his deed before the Beis HaMikdash was built and before the spies, why is it placed here? And he gives a different answer. He says, before, but and he repeats the same thing again. And it's also possible, I don't understand this word, Gan, because he says the same husband here that he said before. In the Psukim before, these Psukim, it talks about idol worship. And it says that there's different levels of worshipping idols. And the worst is if you're a chutzpanik, if you do it without any shame, without any hesitation, without any reservations. So this person's desecration of the Shabbos is written here because he desecrated the Shabbos out in the open. He didn't care that anybody uh, would see him. So the Ebenezer holds, and I suppose you could say it's very similar to what Rashi is saying, that even though it's written in Pasha Shlach, it didn't occur now. It didn't happen after the story of the spies. It had occurred much before, almost as soon as the Jews got the mitzvah of Shabbos. The second week, someone desecrated the Shabbos. Now the next thing we are going to do is the Chizkuni. The Chizkuni is on the lower right of page 1, please. Okay, and he also addresses the same question that the other two addressed. Why does the Teda have to suddenly tell us, the Jews found themselves in the desert? I think we know the Jews were in the desert because they've been there since Exodus, right? <laughs> so why all of a sudden the Sevi Ibn Yisrael Midbar? So he gives a different answer. Rashi and Devin Ezzah said, Midbar, that they had just arrived in the desert. So their tendency is to say that this story is, didn't, is not where it belongs in terms of chronology. But the Chaskuni says, Fakir, the Yubin, they saw by Midbar, Shakach, Nigzer Because they lost their right to go into Israel because of the spies. So the Chaskuni is the opposite of Rashi and the Ebenezer. Rashi and the Ebenezer believe that it happened almost as soon as they came into the desert. And the Chaskuni says, No, 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 it's because of the spies. The spies happened when? The spies were sent the 29th of Sivan. They came back, Tishabov of the year 2449. And then, they cried. Whatever, they they cried. And the Ebishtit says, I'll give you a reason to cry. Like it says in Chazal. And after the story of the spies, that they stayed in the desert for 40 years, someone came along and desecrated the Shabbos. So he says that the reason the Taylor says, Mamidbar is exactly the opposite of Rashi and Ebenezer's reason. They were in the desert because they never couldn't go into Israel because of the spies. Not like Rashi says that they had just arrived. Okay, shall I yichnesu, turn the page. La'aretz, they shouldn't go into the Holy Land. And they desecrated the Shabbos. And then the Chaskuni thickens the plot. And he says like this. The Chaskuni is on the lower right, Rabbi Isai, where I made the arrow. It's quite extensive. B'mitzvah's diliyah. What happened? The spies made a big stink, right? They messed it up. They told the Menu, you can't be Jewish in the Holy Land, forget about it. You can't go to Yisrael. Why? Because you want to be close to God. So they said to him, to the spies, yeah, but, yeah, but the Abishah wants to go into the Holy Land. Uh, the Abishah doesn't understand the Yetzirah. You want to be a good Jew, you have to be in the desert. And then the spies were killed, and there was all kinds of tzaddis. The Jews got the message, they're going to the Holy Land, their children are going to the Holy Land, and they were very disappointed. And then the Abishah gave them mitzvahs. So the mitzvahs, the Leo, the mitzvahs that we read earlier in this week's parsha. If you're going to Sochem Bechalo, the law of libation, pouring wine on them is Beach, and separating Chalo, Ksiv Bahem Vechitavayi Wal Aretz, or Bebeachem. When you go into the land, you come into the land, Lelame, this teaches us, She'ein Oneyagais Ella Ba'aretz, they're only applicable in the Holy Land, not in the diaspora, right? In Chutz Laretz, outside of Eretz Yisrael, you don't have to separate Chalo. Out of it, so you don't have to give libations. Now, I just said something that got you all upset, right? You made challah, I separated challah. It's a long story. But in the desert, they didn't have the mitzvah of challah for sure. Avos Shabbos Nehagas, Shabbos is apropos, Bein Ba'aretz, Bein Ba'aretz, in Israel and outside of the land. Or in the Lashon of the Chazal, the Nigel Deteira, it's a mitzvah Shabbat Some mitzvahs have to do with mitzvah Shabbat to do with the land. In Israel, you have those mitzvahs. Shabbos not have to do with the land, that's to do with the person. 
And yet, if from the desert. We just learned about mitzvahs that only apply in the, in the Holy Land, says the Teda, but there were mitzvahs that work in the desert. And nevertheless, someone desecrated Shabbos. So the Cheskuni's position is, this person should have understood that even though there are mitzvahs that only apply once you go into Israel, there are mitzvahs that apply in the desert as well. And he should not have desecrated the Shabbos, because Shabbos is one of those mitzvahs that works in the desert as well. Now, the Cheskuni now continues. And the what the Cheskuni says now, is exactly the opposite of what he said until now. The next piece of Cheskuni, he quotes Rashi. Remember, the Cheskuni we just read holds that the remit of the word Bamidbar is that it occurred after the story of the spies. But the next thing he says is, speaking in the shame of the Jewish people, they kept only one Shabbos, he only desecrated, they only kept one, the second Shabbos was already desecrated. Nimtas Lamed. So this Rashi's position, says the Cheskuni, indicates that this collector of wood did his deed in the first year before the Mishkan was built. The question is, Rashi himself holds that the blasphemer and the desecrator of Shabbos happened at the same time. And why did the person blaspheme? Why did the person blaspheme? Remember the story? The Jews divided up into camps. Three to the east, three tribes to the east, three tribes to the west, three tribes to the north, three tribes to the south. So this guy, this, this blasphemer, said, I belong to Shevet Don. He said, excuse me, your father's a mitzi. Gave from Danet. Go. He said, what do you mean? My mother's from Shevet Don. He said, yeah, but Yechaz is after the father. So they threw him out of the camp. Now, when did the camps become established? In the second year? So if the Mekoshish happened the first year and the blasphemer took place at the same time, what were they doing in encampments if they hadn't been divided up into camps? So he says a very big Kiddush. V'gabe mekalel mashma and the blasphemer's story indicates shnigbu that when the flags were established that's when this person cursed. Ela yeshleima said the Chizkuni says a Chiddush Godel a very interesting Chiddush it's not important to this week's class I'll just read it quickly that af mekal hoye b'shana rishena v'af b'kein yotzom b'choyuk meishibrashi pashat emel and I myself looked it up for you okay the Jews came out of Egypt and they were gathered. Eventually Hashem told them how they should arrange themselves. But before Hashem told them how to arrange themselves, you could make the case that they were arranged in a random and an arbitrary order. So the Chaskuni says, when the Jews left Egypt, they arranged themselves in the order that the Zayde Yankavavinu, that the elder Zayde Yankavavinu had told his children to carry his remains. It says in Chumash in Pashas Vayechi, with the help of Rashi, when Yankavinu passed away, he says, I want my sons to carry me. He says, Levi can't carry me because he's going to be serving the Yebishter. Yosef can't carry me because he's a king. So Menashe and Ephraim took their stead. And he said, Yehuda, Yisachar and Zvulun should be in the east. Reuven and Shimon and God should be in the south. Uh, Menashe and Ephraim and Benyamin should be in the west. And Donatol and Asher should be in the uh, north. So they carried. So the Jews came out of it, Egypt they naturally gravitated to these locations based on the old tradition. Until the Abishter comes along and says, oh, I want you to set up camp. Three in the east, and three in the west, and three in the north, and three in the south, and gave them an instruction they were already keeping. They already had situated themselves in these kinds of encampments because Yankov had made this determination. But now the Abishter confirmed it and said, I also sanction this. So therefore this blasphemer was thrown out of the camp of Don before the Abishter put him there because the people naturally gravitated to these locations based on what they knew the tradition had from Yankav Avin. So we have, Rabbi Sai, two different interpretations of the word Bamidbar. The first indicates that they were in the desert because they had just arrived and they couldn't keep more than one Shabbos as opposed to Bamidbar that this is a reflection of the fact that they had been punished. Because of the story of the spies, they were stuck in the desert for 40 years and someone desecrates the shams. Okay, page 3. Um, there are, this is a medrash. There's a lot of medrash on these psukim, obviously. And these two psukim, these two pages are not contiguous. You'll notice that from Kuf Tzadik Zayn, you go to Reish Beis. I cut and pasted. I copied what we needed. So do Reish Gimel, which is on the left. The arrow pointing towards the left. Vayim tzu ish mekeshish eitzim. They found a man collecting wood 
And then it says afterwards, also Lahem Titsis, they should make the bits of Titsis. Before the Makaishish. No, 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 no. Page three. Page three on the left. Before the Makaishish, you have the story of the Isid against idol worship. After the Makaishish, you have the mitzvah of Tzitzis. And in between, you have this desecrator of the Shabbos. Says the Medrash, Adeshem, Chafet, Laman, Tzitzis, Yagdal, Yagdal, loves, desires, because of his great generosity and kindness, to make the Taylor great and beautiful. Eilu Shalish Mitzvah Shenemiru Bazaar There are three mitzvahs in succession. And they are Pashas of Edezara, the prohibition against idol worship. Upashas Mekoshish and the need to keep Shabbos. Upashas Tzitzis and the Pasha of Tzitzis are all connected. Why? Lefi, because. Shekalakefe Bavay Dezara, Kilukim, Kalateda Kula. Denying idol worship is keeping the whole Taylor. Keeping Shabbos is like keeping the whole Torah. As the Pesach says, That Shabbos is equal to the whole Torah. The Rambam writes this, at the end of the Shabbos, that Shabbos is equal to idol worship. Shabbos is equal to idol worship. Even though Shabbos, it's a mitzvah to be Mechal Shabbos to save a life. Correct? Well, you're not allowed to worship idols, you have to give your life for it. But at the same time, the din is a mumul Shabbos, is a mumul al a person doesn't keep Shabbos, he can't trust his kashas, he can't trust his stam, his evitez, his he can't trust him at all. Because Shabbos is the opposite of Avedazar. Avedazar is the idea of saying, the heavens belong to God, and the earth belongs to man, and you can't link them. Or to say it in, in Miraglami, yes, the desert belongs to godliness, and the earth belongs to to Klippa, to Canaan. And Shabbos is a statement that says, this world is God's. He created the sixth day and the seventh day. He rested. We will rest in this planet on His Helech Shabbos. So Shabbos and Abedazar are two sides of a coin. And of course, naturally, Tzitzis, as you know, V'chala Makayim, Mitzvah, Tzitzis, Kilakim, Kolatayda, Kulat, Tzitzis is the whole Tayda. As you know, right? That the word Tzitzis has the numerical equivalent of 600. Tzaddik is 90 and Yud is 10. You have two Tzaddiks and two Yuds. That's 200. And Tuf is 400. And then you have five knots and eight threads. Eight and five is 13. And 613 mitzvahs. It's a little more complicated than that because there's no two Yuds in Tzitzis. There's only one Yud in Tzitzis. But don't tell nobody because you'll ruin the drasha. It says, Lit Tzitzis. One of the three. Lit Tzitzis with a Lamed. That Lamed goes on the other 30. So that becomes... Uh, 613. Tzitzis of the Gematria of 613. So all three mitzvahs of Adizara, Shabbos, and Tzitzis represent the whole Yiddishkai. And that's why they're brought in succession. One after the other. And they're all an answer to the Meraglim. All of them. Because the Meraglim said Judaism is about kavonet, it's about meditation, it's about spirituality, it's about experience. It may be about that too, but it's about action. It's not about action because God likes action per se. It's because God wants to show that it's within the man's possibility to make this lowest world one with the Yemishtah. Now, this medrash is articulated quite beautifully in the Ralbag, which is on page 5. So I want to turn to the Ralbag this moment, right now. At the top of the page, please. Page 5. Vayim tu ish mekeshish eitzim Shabbos. They found the man collecting wood on Shabbos. Yidme, it seems to me, says the Ralbag, that the Tehidah joins together the desecration of the Shabbos to the idea of idol worship because of the considerable comparison there is between the two and the reason is the explanation is one who desecrates the Shabbos is in a way denying the Tehidah as a whole here yeah? If he desecrate the Shabbos in a certain way, he denies the Torah as a whole, which is what idol worship is. How? The very foundation of Torah is the belief in Chidush. What does Chidush mean? Creation. Newness. Our belief in Shabbos, and more importantly, our keeping Shabbos, uh, founds for us two important roots. Ha'echad. Shavai is Barach Nimsa, number one, that God exists. And Vahashayni Shuchidish Ha'el that renews the world. It says in the Rambam. And from this Rambam, it becomes the Drosh of all Droshes. Why do you have Shabbos? Because it tells us about beginnings. After Shabbos comes the Yom Rishin, Bashabbos, the first day in creation. 
What is the idea of the first day in creation? The world is thousands of days old, or hundreds of thousands of days old. Why we say Yishem HaShabbos? Because by remembering that every week it starts over again from the beginning, it reminds us that there was a first beginning before which there was no beginnings. In other words, that the world has a creator. So Shabbos is about a creator and an involved creator. And we believe this, we'll believe everything that's written in the Torah in terms of the mitzvahs and so forth and so on. And to teach us these two principles, Shabbos comes along. One who desecrates the Shabbos, the denial of all the Torah and mitzvahs, which is the same thing as idol worship. So the Al-Bag did not really add anything to the Medrash, but he does articulate it in language which is very, very direct. The issue is, what makes Yiddishkeit, the religion that it is, is not the belief in God. But it's the connection between earth and heaven. Emphasis on the word earth. Nothing is outside the domain of God. And the Torah takes it a step further. Not only is nothing outside the domain of God, nothing is outside the domain of God in as much as people are concerned. Even people are capable of living their lives in a way that reflects that not only they believe, but they live practically in a world where the Meragam had a problem with this. Desecration of Shabbos is an argument against this. And idol worship is naturally an argument against it. And that's the connection between Avedezara and Chil Shabbos. Now if I can bother you to go back to page 3, and let's read the other Medrash. This is the other Medrash, which I arrowed. They encountered a man, Chopping wood on Shabbos, collecting wood on Shabbos. He did it for the sake of heaven. A man with Machal Shabbos paid with his life, and his point was for the sake of God. The Jewish people said, Since they were declared, that they shouldn't go into the whole land because of the story of the Meraglim. Forgive my interruption. So this Medrash supports the Chizkuni and not Rashi and the Avinezah, right? This message supports the opinion that says that the story of the Shabbos desecration happened after the story of the spies. Shuvah Mechav Mitzvahs, there's no mitzvahs. Ahmed Bechil Shabbos, and this guy got up, desecrated the Shabbos, that he should be killed, and everybody should see. This is sort of a black and white philosophy. And this is typical of teenage, little kids. You know? Well, there's a better question. If you do it for this reason, are you of Misa? He saw the Jewish people take uh, an all-or-nothing attitude. No Israel, no Yiddishkeit. That's it. And they were saying that the Ebishter holds. No Israel, no mitzvahs. We can desecrate the Shabbos. Now I must tell you, or I don't must tell you, maybe I shouldn't tell you, but this is really the position of the Ramban. It's based on the Midrash Chazal. The Ramban holds that all the mitzvahs we do in Chutz Lattes is practice. It's based on the Midrash. But the Ikel of Yiddishkeit is in the Holy Land, not in the Chutzlodot. So the Jews said, we don't keep mitzvahs anymore. We're not going to Israel anyway. Our children are going to Israel. They'll keep mitzvahs. We'll keep living in the clouds, studying, eating, manna, drinking water from Edish or Miriam. And who needs mitzvahs? So he says, I want to show the Jews that there's mitzvahs now in this cloud, in spite of the fact that we're not going into Israel by our own choice. There's Yiddishkeit here too. He desecrates the Shabbos, loses his life, and teaches the Jewish people that there's mitzvahs and chutzlahs. You got any mitzvah you could keep, you must keep. So he did it, L'shem Shomayim, God. Okay, which would explain the second question is, Vayim to Ish. They found a man, and a man of the Shem HaMailah. It's an, argue, it's, a, it's an honorable illusion. Why would the Tater call one who desecrates the Shabbos an Ish? And the answer is, he did it with intent. He wanted to teach the Jewish people about the importance of Shemitah Shabbos. And the essence of it is the same, that all over the world you can be a Yid. You can't necessarily always do all the mitzvahs, but the mitzvahs that you can do, you must do. Now this Medrash is explained in a nice Chidah and also in Lakut HaSichas. The Chidah is on page 7. I made an arrow. And the Chidah adds that emes that the word Mekoshesh has the numerical equivalent of 740 740 Mem, Kuf, Shin, Shin Shin and Shin is 600 and Kuf is 100 Mem is 
plus 38 is 740. Shabbos is 702. Plus 38 is 740. So the Mekoshesh was Mekoshesh to teach them that there's Lamed Chas Shabbos, that even the 38 years that they're in the desert, they still have Mitzvah Shabbos. Which is already the beginning of an insight and why it says Mekoshesh Eitzim. As I said to you before, one of the oddities of this whole episode is it's not Mekoshesh Eitzim, it's Mekoshesh Kash or Malakit Eitzim. Mekoshesh Eitzim doesn't make sense. So here's that Emes. He's called the Mekoshesh because he taught them the Shabbos plus Lamed Ches. Shabbos is 702. They spent 38 years in the desert. You should know that even these 38 years, there's a Shabbos. And that's what Mekoshesh is Meramis. That he was desecrating the Shabbos, paying with his life to teach the Jewish people the message of Shabbos. Now on page 8, the Chida adds, V'yash Lodun Bazer, page 8, on the right at the bottom. V'yash Lodun Bazer, the question becomes, if a person desecrates the Shabbos to get himself killed, guess what? They don't kill him. <laughs> Why? This is a malacha, this is a work that a person is doing for no need. If you knock down a wall, are you even a malacha? It depends. If you knock down the wall because you want to build a new one, you're Machal Shabbos. If you knock down the wall because you're bored, you're not Machal Shabbos. Because it has to be Malachas Machshavas, the work has to serve a purpose. Here was a Yid doing a malacha, he didn't need the wood. He wanted to teach Yid in the lessons. He wasn't Chayv Misa, arguably, says the Chidah. Okay, Vagam, moreover, as somebody else said, the Gedeil Avedel When a person sins for the sake of God, it's the biggest mitzvah. The Gemara says in several places in Shas, we have individuals, people, who did Avedis. And the only reason they did this Aveda was Lakadash Shemayim Barabim. And the Gemara calls it Avedel Sinning for the sake of God. And God, Avedel the Gemara says, mitzvah it's greater to do an Aveda for the sake of heaven than to do a mitzvah for the wrong reasons. Here was a person doing an Aveda. His whole kavanah was Lashamayim. Says the Chidah, They have to save his life. Why would they kill him? And this is, look at the next paragraph, please. That's why they put him in jail. Why didn't they kill him right away? They knew a person desecrates the Shabbos gets killed. But they didn't know that if a person desecrates the Shabbos to teach other people about keeping Shabbos, if he should be killed altogether. Didn't know what to do with him. To this particular individual, because uh, he had desecrated the Shabbos for the preservation of the Shabbos. Next paragraph. The man should be put to death. He's called initially Ha'ish. And the Hebrew calls him again Ha'ish. Says the Chidah Shehu Te'el it's an allusion to a righteous man. A man desecrates the Shabbos. He was warned, don't do it. He does it anyway. He pays with his life. And the Abishta calls him Ish. Why? Claim after Bitzad Mahu Tzadik. Though from some perspectives he may be righteous. And from that perspective, maybe he's not considered an intentional sinner. So you should be put to death. Why? Because you have to measure a person by what they do and not by what their intentions are. Maybe his intentions were sincere. Bottom line is, desecrated the Shabbos. I said to you before you came in, if a person desecrates Shabbos because he's suicidal, wants to take his own life, they don't put him to bed death. A guy, he says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cooking on Shabbos. I want to desecrate Shabbos. And you know that the man is never ill. You don't put him to death. He's sick. The Sanhedrin don't have to conform to this person's intentions. He wants to show Jews something, yeah? But when the Sanhedrin put him to death, that has to be correct for them. Not just for his purpose. So they have to be put him away. The Rebbe has a sikh, and the Kutta This is Chayil Chavches. On page 16 and 17 and 18. It's a very, very beautiful sikh. Where the Rebbe quotes the Mashah. And the Mashah says the same thing as the Chidah, because the Mashah was much before the Chidah. And the Mashah says, I don't understand. A person who does a disgrace of the Shabbos to teach people how to keep Shabbos is not Chayav Achil Shabbos. He didn't desecrate the Shabbos. The Rebbe quotes the Kedushas Levi. If you look on page 16, at the top of page 95, top of page, 90, page 16, the numbers at the bottom, top page 95, There was no desecration of Shabbos at all. Because he did it just to teach Jewish people a lesson. And nevertheless, he's put to death. Why? Because the judge can only judge with his eyes. And the eyes said that it was a desecration of Shabbos. The eyes said that this person was warned. The eyes said that what he's thinking in his head is none of our business. He desecrated the Shabbos. So this is the story of the Makoshish. The Makoshish had Kavanah, it was all good. And so forth and so on. 
But the fact of the matter was, what we saw was an act of Chilul Shabbos had to be put to death. And the Rebbe connects it to Avedizara, and he connects it to the Meragum. Avedizara is a very interesting thing. What's Avedizara? What's idol worship? What's idol worship? Idol worship is an attitude. It's a philosophy. It's a mindset. The, the philosophy of idol worship says God is in Brooklyn. Well, when you cross over the bridge into Manhattan, that belongs to who knows who. That's idol worship. Division. Idol worship is entirely a mitzvah of the spirit, of the attitude. Yet, historically, many a Jew has given his life not to bow down to a stone. Like the Yomar Gitin, the story that I always tell you, how the king killed six children, six of the sons of this woman that we call Hannah. And the Gemara name is not mentioned, but in the Midrashim her name is mentioned. And the youngest of her seven children. Now they killed six children, and the four children, over before Bar Mitzvah, you couldn't have been more than four or five. It was a little boy. And the king feels so stupid, he just killed six children. But in killing these six children, these six children made a mockery out of him in front of his whole court. So he throws his ring on the floor, and he begs the little boy to pick it up. He pushes it, begs him. He says, please, I don't want to look like a fool. But if I have to, I'll kill you. And the boy refuses and he kills him. And the king says to the little boy, you'll pick up the ring. You know and I know you're picking up my ring. And it'll look, I won't look so bad. And the mother tells her child, die. For what? For picking up a ring. Because when it comes to idol worship, you don't even do an act that you know you don't mean. And everybody else you know you don't mean. Why? There's no intent. Al-Tarabi says in Tanya, soft pedicure test, in the chapter 19. You don't mean it. A person, a Jew is afraid even if he's going to pay with his life and that's the story of this Shabbos here's a man doing an act of desecration of Shabbos the Shabbos is being honored by his desecration we judge his actions and of course this is the same story with the spies the spies said that all of Judaism is about kavon it's about intent it's all about how you feel and we learn from the story of this that it's what you do this is the Rebbe, it's, it's really very, very similar to the Chidah. The Rebbe elaborates a little bit on the Chidah, adds some more information to it. So we now have two more thoughts from the Medrash. The first thought from the Medrash is that these three things, the Vedazara, Shabbos, and Sittas, equal the whole of Yiddishkeit. And the second thought from the Medrash is that the Makoshish was a Tzaddik. And there are those who say that the Makoshish was actually Tzlavchad. The, the father of those girls who were desperate to go into Eretz Yisrael, who understood the need for practical mitzvahs, and he gave his life to teach Yidin the lesson of keeping Shabbos, even in Chutz Laretz. Okay? And his kavona was l'shamayim. Kavona was l'shamayim. Now, there's Rabbeinu Bechaye, there's a Rosh on page 4, there's Rabbeinu Bechaye on page 6. Rabbeinu Bechaye has many, many, many points. But we don't have any time. And the, 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 there's a shach, Alateira on page 9 and 10. The shach Alateira answers a very, very important question. This is Mamish Kabbalah. The shach Alateira is a shtikl Kabbalah. And it ties in with the Maimer Hasidus. It ties in with the Maimer Hasidus. Now, if, what I would advise you to do is do the bottom of page 9 and the top of page 10. Then to read, I suppose, the very beginning of the Maimir on page 11 and the end of the Maimir on page 14, and you'll have a sense of what's going on. But I have to put it all together. I don't have time. So I'm going to make you a little challenge, a little synthesis. And you'll hear the episode, you hear what's going on here. You'll hear the mice. The Jews find themselves in the desert. Some people say desert, there's no Yiddishkeit, yeah? <laughs> Other people say, desert, we're so holy, we're above it all. They find that tzaddik. And again, there's three different interpretations. I'm going to give the simple one. Collecting wood. It should say, What's the Mekoshesh Eitzim? The answer is as follows. According to, first of all, let me tell you what the word Eitz is at Emes to. Eitz is at Emes to Eitz Achayim. It's the tree of life. And Mekoshesh Eitzim means he's cutting off the tree of life. That's, what it, that's how you have to explain Apisod, Apikabolo. Mekoshesh Eitzim, he's starting to play around with Eitzachayim, with the tree of life, with Pneumius. The, the spirit of this is as follows. In Yiddishkeit, there are two levels. There's a higher level and a lower level. The difference between the higher level and the lower level is, the lower level is the world where there's the Eitzateva and the Eitzachayim. 
in the world with the Eitzhav and Yitzhadah, which we call, Rabbi Yitzhah, Eitzhadas, as opposed to Eitzhachayim, Eitzhadas, Tevedah, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, life's a struggle. Eitzhachayim, the tree of life, is the realm of holiness, of godliness. Now, if idol worship means to separate, if idol worship means to say, the heavens is God's, the earth is man. Now why is that idolatry? It's idolatry because we are declaring the limitations of God's power. Or to say alternatively, we are declaring our independence from God's will. It's the same thing in, inversely. We're saying, God, on the weekends, Shabbat, Saturday, I'll meet you for the morning services, Friday night, sorry, I worked too hard all week, yeah? Debishter's life and our lives are, Debishter's world and our lives are intertwined and inseparable. Idol worship says it's, it's too hard to be Jewish in the real world. Now, of course, each one of us appreciates how realistic that problem is. The idea that it's hard to be a Jew in the real world, we can all touch. We can all touch it with our hands. And Yiddishkeit says, no, no, don't divide. Division is idol worship. God is in charge of the part of your life that you are most struggling with. He's there. He's there. And try to allow your behavior to reflect that faith. And the Abishtha will help you see the hand of God in your life. And if you don't, it's a test. But remember, there's no separations. So where would the separation take place? The separation would take place between the realms of godliness and the world. For the capitalists keeping score at home, or even those who are here, the godliness ends with Atzilus. So, Atzilus is God's. The lower worlds are who knows whose. The end of Atzilus is Eitz the tree of knowledge. So the tree of knowledge knows good and evil, but even though the tree of knowledge knows good and evil, it's in the world of godliness. Now, in context, if this Mekoshish, if this fellow who was desecrating the Shabbos was in his actions saying there's a separation between the world and godliness, and he meant, his intent was, there's a separation between Atzilus and the lower worlds, it would have said Mekoshish Kash. He was collecting straw. He was saying that there's a separation between the Atzilus and the lower worlds, and Atzilus ends with Eitzadas, with the tree of knowledge. But this was an unusual fellow. He was a big mystic. And his issue was that he was not separating Atzilus and the lower worlds. He was making a division in Atzilus itself. He was separating between Eitzadas and Eitzachayim. He was separating between a brand of Judaism, which is a struggle, and a brand of Judaism, which is light, which is lichtikait. That's why it says, Mekoshesh Eitzim. Mekoshesh Eitzim doesn't make any sense. Mekoshesh belongs with Kash. That's Hebrew, simple Hebrew. Malachet Eitzim. So Kabbalah says, Mekoshesh Eitzim, this was a man who was making a line. He was declaring a separation between heavens and earth. Now, you and I could discuss this in terms of what his intentions were. Did he in fact have an issue? Did he actually have a problem with separating high worlds and the lower worlds? Or was he doing it to teach a lesson? The Maimodei Hasidus and the Shach don't go into that question. You know, we had just the Medrash. It says he did a Lashem Shamayim. But that's a detail. The essence of it is that this was a man who committed a sin. Not a, only a practical sin, but a mystical sin. And an unusual sin. His issue was not, he was separating Yiddishkeit from the real world. His issue was he was separating the Pneumius of Yiddishkeit from the Chitzenius of Yiddishkeit. And he said, you can be a Jew in the real world. It's a war. It's a war. There's no peace. There's no enlightenment. There's no oil. There's no godliness. Or as the Maimish says it, there's no Yechida. There's no Pintelayid. Sure, go into the real world, serve the Yevishter, you're on your own. You're serving God. You believe that God's involved in your life. But it's you struggling with the real world. His separation wasn't between godliness and the world. His separation was between the dimension of godliness, which is called Eitzachayim, the world of peace. And Eitzadas, the world of struggle, and he was saying, in Yiddishkeit there's no peace. Or if you will, in Yiddishkeit there's no Shabbos. This is a very interesting idol worship. It's a very... He's not saying that something is outside of God's domain, which is bad, enough, which is terrible, right? To say that there's a part of creation which God has no mastery over, that's idol worship. He was, no, no, it's God's, but it's a war. And you're going to fight and fight and fight and fight. There's no enlightenment. There's no Eitzachayim. There's no light. Or like he says, the Rebbe finishes the moment, there's no Yechidosh HaBenefesh. So the Rebbe says that the sin of the Mekayish Eitzim, it's a Vayim Tzu Ish, 
Yeah, they found a man. He was a big Balmadrege. He wasn't an ordinary person. The Shach, look at the Shach's words. On page 9. Vayim to Ish. They found a man. Basada in the field, Chayim Mekoshesh Eitzim was collecting wood. And remember, it shouldn't say Mekoshesh Eitzim. It should either be Mekoshesh Kash or Malaket Eitzim. But Apikabola, Mekoshesh Eitzim means he was, the, the, the Rebbeinu Bahaya, which we didn't read, was Mokushesh. <laughs> I guess in English, he was mocking six. He was separating. The Sviras HaYed was separating Eitzah Chayim from Eitzah Das. Shechosh Vushama Eitzah. You see a man desecrating the Shabbos. He's not a human being. What is he? He's a low life. And then they find Rayim Ish. He's a tzaddik. He's a Balmadreg. And he's desecrating the Shabbos. They were stunned. People understand that people could desecrate the Shabbos. People understand that there are people who have a difficulty with this position. Everything belongs to God, as is represented by Shmita Shabbos. Here's the Jew who has an issue with Shmita Shabbos. They figure he's not an Ish, he's an Enish, he's a weak person. He's a compromised Jew and they encounter an ish. He said, how could a Jew keep a Jew of such a magnitude? That's the great Shabbos. Yeah, now he explained it in the passage. Shemishet all, kokach, nisim, and efloi. So all these wonders. So they thought that he wasn't an ish. Please go down six lines, seven lines from the bottom of the page. So they wondered. How could this be an ish? A person sees so many miracles and he still believes that there's two domains, God's and man's. But he was an ish. <laughs> so they were so confused. A big tzaddik desecrating the Shabbos, they were, they were frozen. They forgot what to do. What do you do when a tzaddik desecrates the Shabbos? What's the answer? <laughs> the same thing you do when a low life desecrates the Shabbos. But it, it stopped. Like, that's why they stopped. And he says, V'zeo shomar eitzim. That's the meaning of the word eitz. Shilash and Mekoshesh Nefal al Kash. The word Mekoshesh will go to the word Kash Vetevin. Four lines in the Bible. His kid ate him, Lemeshakitz Benetias. He cut down trees. He was not making a separation in the higher worlds and the lower worlds. He was making a separation in the higher worlds themselves. Which, if I needed to explain this, I, the Rebbe says Yechida. And I want to show you the words of the Rebbe. And on this page 14, the Rebbe actually says that the sin of the Mekoshesh happens on three levels. There's a physical act of desecration. And the physical act of desecration is saying God's not the master of this world altogether. There is a spiritual act of desecration, which means the heavens belong to God and the ayin sodim, which I underlined at the bottom of the right side, the, 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 the forces of nature are separate from God. And the third dimension of his sin, which is based on the zayat, that he separated in Kedusha Gufa, in Godliness itself, which it's a chayim and it's Okay, now again, for lack of time. Let me just show you the end. Hare Hamidbar, five lines at the end of the Maimed. On the left side, I underlined, I circled it, yes? Hamidbar, Hamokam, Shabayayim, Matan, Teda. The Teda was given in the desert. So the Rebbe says, that's why it says in the Pasuk, Midbar, Jews are in the desert. What's the desert? They're closest to Matan, Teda. They're closest to the divine revelation. Umikoma came, and even where God is so revealed, Matsu Ish, Mekeshish, Eitzim, Be'el, Meshab, as they find the man, desecrating the Shabbos and making a separation between the two trees. In other words, this man saw incredible Nisim Beniflois, so great Gili Alakus, and he felt, sure, you could serve Hashem in the real world, but it's a war. Or in the language of the Maimets, Medita Vagbol, it's limited. The real world limits your Yiddishkeit. Infinity, peace, enlightenment, can't be in the real world. So it's a very, very di- very aided, very theoretical, very idol worship. He wasn't saying God's not the master of the lower world. He was saying that God's master of the lower world is a struggle. The Shadesh Adovar Hu, the real source of it is He compared the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, and as a consequence, Yiddishkeit was limited. As the Rebbe, and this was his idol worship, because and this was his desecration of Shabbos. from the essence of the soul, which is one of the So the Rebbe says, The Rebbe says very interesting stuff here. And he's explaining the Zayar, not like the Zayar says it. He's adding to the Zayar more than the Zayar says. According to Kabbalah, Eitzachayim is a godliness. Eitzadas is struggle, right? 
Here's a man who separates between Eitzachayim and Eitzadas. What's the separation between Eitzachayim and Eitzadas? He's conceding. You could serve Hashem in the real world, but if you're going to serve Hashem in the real world, it's going to be a struggle. And the idea of bringing enlightenment into it is not possible. In a way, he's saying the same thing that the Meraglim said. In the desert, you could be in the level of Eitzachayim. In El Mazer, you can be in the level of Eitzadas. And therefore, it's preferred to stay in the desert and have Eitzchayim, not Eitzdas, right? And it's a good time. The Meraglim are not wrong. When the Meraglim say, we're closer to God than the Jews who went into Israel, is anybody denying that? They were there, there, the Shamas of Atilus, Eichle Hamon, Miriam. They sat day and night and learned and created Chokhmas Atayda. They were the greatest generation in terms of Yiddishkeit, in terms of spirituality. So it's true. They were in the tree of life. The next generation, their children went to the Holy Land. They went, they had struggles and wars. Physical wars, spiritual wars. wars. Why? It's the real world. In the real world, there's no tree of life. There's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Keep them apart. He's making a good argument. And it's called desecration. It's called idol worship. Why? No, no. You could bring Eitzachayim into Eitzadas. You could bring infinity into the Yid's service of the Eibishter in the real world. But what does Eitzachayim mean? The simple type of Eitzachayim is Giliolokus, godliness. You can't experience godliness in Golos. The Rebbe translates Eitzachayim, Yechidesh Abenefesh. And Yechidesh Abenefesh is Dafke in the real world. So here was a person who says, if you're going to, it's Shabbos, yeah? Shabbos announces, the world is God's. It shows us on renewal on the Creator and so forth and so on. But in the real world, you can be a Jew only in the measure of Eitzadas. He's right. The Menachem were not wrong when they said that they're closer to God. And the Tedet says, you are wrong because you can have Eitzachayim in the real world, but not the Eitzachayim of the Menachem. The Eitzachayim of Yechid al-Yachtoch. And the key, says the Rebbe, is Te'enas Ulach. Te'enas Ulach is Kabbalah Selmach HaShemayim. They're going into Eretz Yisrael. Look at the words. Look at it again. Yes. That's what the Maima finishes. This fellow, this Tzlovchad, whoever he was, claims you, there is God in the real world, but it's Eitzadas. It's limited. It's a struggle. This is his great sin, <laughs> and that's why it's called Ish. And that's what says Mekoshesh Eitz, not Mekoshesh Kash. You understand all the, the details in the post that come home. And why was he wrong? Says the Rebbe, because you could have Eitzachayim, you could have enlightenment, you can have infinity serving Hashem in the real world. Not the enlightenment that the Meraglim envisioned, but the enlightenment of Yechidesh HaBenefesh, which is even a higher Madriga than that. And I'll finish with a story. Rabbi Karliner disagreed with the Alter Rebbe. He had a derech of Tzadim HaMenosa Yechia Al Tikri Yechia El Yechayim. That means to say that uh, in order to be a chassid, you have to be connected to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe gives you all the koiches. You don't do anything yourself. Everything comes from the Rebbe. So he brought to the Alter Rebbe a chassid of his. And he, he brings it to the Alter Rebbe, and he meets the Alter Rebbe in the little room in front of the Alter Rebbe's cheder. The Alter Rebbe's ganedin ha'elyin. In front of it was what we call the ganedin ha'tachti. It was a small little room, and there was a besmedrish there. There was a little shtibel, and people sat and learned. And he introduces him to the Alter Rebbe and says, this is my chassid. He's not a Chabad scared. He doesn't learn chassidus. And he has Gili Eliyahu. He has enlightenment. He has Eitzachayim. He sees Eliyahu Wanavi. So Alter Rebbe turns around and in the corner of this little shtibel, this little bismedrish, was standing Rabbi Yaman Kletzke. Rabbi Yaman Kletzke was davening Shmenesre. Alter Rebbe says to Rabbi Shleim and their younger man, this young man is standing Shmenesre. And they're out Sim Sholem. He's holding the very end of the Shemines. He's experiencing Yechidesh HaBenefesh. For the Kabbalists keeping score at home. And he's mocking your Chosetz Gileyo. So there's two Eitz Chaims. There's Eitz Chaim of the Yid and the Midbar. And this Mekoshish thinks he'll concede that you can be a Jew in the real world only in the Madrega of Eitz Hadas. And he's wrong. There's a Yitzchayim in the real world also, but it's a different Yitzchayim. It's Yechid al-Yachar Tehenesulach. Umelacht. You make a mockery out of the Yitzchayim of the Deir HaMidbar. Yitzchayim of the Menagum.